1: And welcome to the Everything is Black and White a Newcastle United podcast brought to you by Chronicle Live We are the only place you need to come for all the up-to-date news about your club We have a panel of expert writers who have covered the club for many, many years We have legends of the game who also join us as special guests as well As writers from further afield Hit that subscribe button and get your weekly update of Newcastle United Hello and welcome to Since Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Musgrove, joined by our football headset, Mark Douglas, and special guest, Luke Edwards from The Telegraph. Gents, how are we both doing? Fine,
2: fine. I just wanted to say this is a collection of the hardest paper rounds in North sports journalism. Muzzy's just told me how old he actually is. I thought he was in his mid-30s. Dougie looks about 50, and I haven't really got a leg to stand on with any of this. So, um, yeah, anyway, nice to see you all.
1: In <laughs> got to more question, hair,
3: in response to your question, I was all right until until I started this podcast.
2: Musy, has, uh, has, has Dougie ever told you I was his boss? He, he's still very bitter. I groomed him, nurtured him, brought him through, and this is the thank I get.
1: You know, no, you recommended told me that my though, job when I left. Times. You've told me that several times, though. Yeah, I think Dougie's
2: just forgotten it. He needs to remember who made him in this business and who can break him.
3: And the Did silence it, there for more. It, no, no it's just. A- <laughs> It's just, sound, he sounds like a man who's clearly not had enough uh, interaction with anybody during lockdown
2: because this is just, <laughs> it's just all coming out now, isn't it? This is just all every day in a press room. room. The thing is, this is actually what every meeting we have in a press room is like. I, I have missed it, actually. I've missed you all. I've missed
3: you all, even, Mark. It's, uh, yeah, I've just, I've just seen that there's only going to be 25 people allowed into the games, 25 written press. So it could be a while before we're in uh, <laughs> the park. We just, just have to do this before every match. Yeah, flag each other off there's
2: a lot yeah. of hatred in that press room before the matches it's not hatred that's wrong you're sending the wrong impression there there's a lot of there's a lot of friendly rivalry in there and uh, we do we do have a lot of laughs as well there is a lot of fun in the press room so you know well, so let's, let's, let's hate not, each other that is no, true no we don't hate each other I mean <laughs> mutual loathing perhaps but I don't yeah, know yeah, yeah. it's good fun it is good fun and we have yeah, all think, miss I, each other we have all missed each other yeah we just don't really like each other I like Muzzy he's a good guy
1: Thanks, Luke. Much appreciated. Shall we? Shall we delve into more uh, depressing stuff, sort of, with this tier cover Then it's been oh, another. No,
2: please, no, no. <laughs> yes, well, we may as well. Come on, you got me on for a reason. Then you? you want me to be the voice of doom and pessimism?
1: Well, I don't think it'll take much. Another week, another week of frustration for Cast United fans, for journalists. Luke, can you just share your opinion of where you're at with this tier cover? What's your your view on it?
2: Okay, where I'm at is utterly, utterly exhausted, fatigued. Um, I will ever, forever associate of all the things of lockdown, right, because this is going to be something we remember for the rest of our lives, isn't it, the, t- the time we were in lockdown. I'm actually going to remember this takeover and just – it has not made lockdown any easier or enjoyable. It's been incredibly stressful for everybody concerned, um, not just journalists, um, but I can speak from a journalist's point of view. It has been one of the most infuriating stories I've ever worked on. Every takeover has been pretty infuriating. But this one, by far and away, has been the most stressful. Um, Look, where we are at, there are obviously problems. And anyone who keeps saying there aren't any problems is, I'm afraid, misguided now. It's been two months. Uh, There obviously is a problem. If you think there hasn't been a problem, then you don't really understand how these things work. The piracy issue is obviously incredibly complicated, um, very difficult for the Premier League to extract itself from a process where they've tried to take legal action and have supported every single legal action that has been taken against Saudi Arabia over piracy. So they're in a very, very difficult position. I think we all thought about a month ago that this would go through. I said at the very start of this, I didn't think the Premier League had the legal power or the appetite to block this takeover. But whatever is happening, whatever decision they are making has to be 100% legally watertight. And that's where we are now. We are effectively in the hands of lawyers. I don't think we have seen all of the documents, all of the evidence, all of the case that has been made against Saudi Arabia take, taking control. I don't think we've seen all the documents, the arguments that have been made for to support them taking control. So we are all just waiting. And I'm afraid, as much as this might infuriate people, I'm now just openly saying I do not know is going to happen and that is where I'm at at the moment I do not know if this is going to be passed or not and anyone who tells you differently I would have said now is just guessing
1: Mark I mean Luke's obviously very frustrated there I think like most journalists most fans you share that frustration
3: yeah well I mean because it's this isn't just this isn't just the last four or five weeks is it this is I mean this particular iteration of the Amanda Stavely bid is I mean, it's probably going back to before Rafa Benitez left. So we're 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 talking um, well, months and months and months and months of, of this. Um, then there's Peter Kenyon. There's, there's there's plenty of other plenty of other other things as well. So so we are dealing with a with the story that I've I found incredibly frustrating because things that you know to be true or things that you you are informed by maybe one or two three sources are, are correct can sometimes be contradicted. By other people um in this whole saga so i've never known never known any reporting on anything like this where you can be told something and 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 then it's either you know outright denied by somebody even though you suspected it to be true um or, or alternatively where there are sort of four or five different versions of the truth so i think i think where we are here is probably no different from from what we were saying at the start of it um that i still believe that the premier league will end up passing it because but like Luke said I think we none of us know what is going to happen what is happening with the Premier League none of us there's no transparency on that process whatsoever we don't even know who's who's involved in the process whatsoever either but obviously the the issue of privacy now is is the big thing that they need to talk about because um because of the WTO report um but I I think the problem is that they they're going through that with a with a fine-tooth comb and one of my one of my real issues here is how do they pin it to to pif how do they decide it's not pif's fault you know those are it's not a legal process it will have to be on basically on the balance of what they believe to be true now like luke said if they leave anything open to to a, to a, a legal challenge then it's going to be coming their way um and and i think what probably has been a little bit frustrating is that the the briefings have always been from the start that this is going to be, it's going to happen. It's going to happen soon. Um, You know, I was told a few weeks ago, it was going to happen that week. been told more times than I can remember by people around the group and around the other things that that a decision is going to be made soon. It could be made soon. So, you know, the problem is that like Luke said, we've got to a point where it really is pointless putting a timescale on it now because you know the people who are involved in this bid presumed that it was going to be done weeks and weeks and weeks ago. So if they don't know what's the, what's the point in now putting a timescale on it? But but you know, and and we are just making educated guesses about whether whether it will pass or fail. But it's going to get very messy if it fails, um, and probably very messy if it passes as well.
2: The thing that annoys me is that the, the, the problem around this, and I, I don't even include necessarily the northeast East journalists in this, but the amount of false deadlines that have been created in the media has just whipped people up every week after week. It's appeared somewhere days away. It's going to happen next week. And it's like, if people had just shut up throughout this process, it would have actually been a lot more smoothly. I know after eight weeks, we probably wouldn't be saying that, we'd be screaming for some sort of update. But it's the fact that there was, throughout this, there's been too much noise around it. And I know know that's kind of the way that Stavely does stuff. And if we looked at the last bid she made in December 2017, it happened then as well. But actually, in the end, and as always my suspicion at the time, the running commentary actually... And it has stopped now, that running commentary. I should stress that. But it didn't help, and it hasn't helped. And you can't railroad an organisation like the Premier League to hurry up its processes. It just doesn't work like that. You can't say... And I think that's what was trying to happen. They were trying to create this public pressure that to get the Premier League to make a decision. And the Premier League have effectively just gone, no, no, actually, no. This, this, this isn't just about Newcastle. It's about the rest of the Premier League. And I know a lot of Newcastle fans don't agree with his stance on this Miguel Delaney and and I've of the independent who I've argued against the moral obligation that I don't think this is football's problem morally. I do not think that it can be blocked on a moral basis when, you know, we've got the UK government doing all these deals with, with the Saudi Arabian government, the amount of money that's poured into the UK economy from Saudi Arabia, that isn't football's problem, but it all comes back to the piracy issue now, I think. And it's obviously incredibly complicated. And the Premier League is just in a very, very difficult place because I think if they pass it, they're going to get slaughtered by other Premier League clubs, other member clubs. I think I think there's a lot of opposition to this from a, from from a other Premier League clubs. I know that doesn't have a bearing on the fit and proper persons test, but if they pass it, the rest of the Premier League are going to be furious. BIN, their commercial partner, are going to be furious it's, you know, they're going to upset somebody. So who do, they, who do they effectively upset? Do they upset Newcastle United supporters and Amanda Stabley, or do they upset the rest of the Premier League and one of their commercial partners in BIN? It's just a very, very difficult situation they're in. And I agree with Mark. Look, my gut feeling, and it is only feeling, is that eventually it will be passed. But I'm now at the point where I'm probably I'm probably reducing myself to 50-50. Now that's, that's where I am. I think it's a 50-50 call in which way it will go.
1: I've spoken to an expert in, in law, Thomas Houghton. We'll hear from him later in the show, and we'll, we'll get back onto the tape over after we've heard from him. We'll move on to another story which has broken over the past few days, and it is about Matty Longstaff and his future. Now, Chronicle Lively writer, a report over the weekend that Newcastle were, were entering the danger zone, as Lee put it, with Matty's contract. It then broke yesterday that Udinese had offered a 30000 a pound a week co- uh, wage Take him to Sarriere. I mean, first of all, where do you guys stand on? I mean, that's a lot of money for a player who hasn't really established himself in the Premier League and has only played a handful of times. The other argument would be that he is the future of Newcastle United, and and the club should be pulling the stops out to to to, to sign him up.
3: Well, there's, all, there's always two. There's always two sides, isn't there, to to these contract stories? I mean, clearly. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever for him to to leave. Um, but you know the, the kind of contract figures that are being talked about by Udinese. I, I think Newcastle are probably going to turn around at that point and say, well, if you can get thirty thousand pounds a year, uh, thirty thousand pounds a week, sorry, from from a team, then then good luck, go go and get it. And it, there's a little bit of brinkmanship there that's been clearly been playing out on, on both sides. I think my argument is, and probably his agent's argument is that you know where else are you going to find a player that you can secure for that for that kind of money who's 19 he's an england underage um player he's uh, he scored goals at premier league level this season he's only 19 um where are you going to find a player with that potential for the kind of money that you are going to end up spending now i've seen somebody somebody a few people have suggested you know look the incentivized contract with a lower base rate Well, i believe that is what Probably has been offered to him, um, which which I think his agents are, are turning around and arguing. You know, look, no, look, you know, I, we we think he's worth he's worth what he's paying for. He's clearly been touted around a lot of clubs in Europe as well. I think it would be an absolute crying shame for him to go. I think probably there needs to be some movement from his side, but I think also the club need to realise that you know they're selling, you know, letting Matty Longstaff go. At this point, makes no financial sense. It makes no sense in terms of what they're trying to be as a football club. And I would think that going back to the takeover, the people involved in the takeover will be sitting there watching this, hoping that you know the long, elongated process doesn't force their hand and basically losing a a very good 19-year-old player. I don't think it's all cut and dried as it maybe been portrayed, but um, you know, but I do think that you know, well, it would be a mistake to let him go. Let's put it that way.
2: Mark and I oh have. i will get an echo now. Uh, uh, okay, Mark and I have talked about this privately and publicly uh, this morning. Uh, with, with WhatsApp messages have been pinging between us all morning. Look, okay, so I agree with what Mark has said to a point. I think it'd be a crying shame if Matty Longstaff leaves. You never ever want to see a player of that potential, who's a local lad, leave the football club after six Premier League starts. But what I will say is this, is that when you have waited your entire life to play for Newcastle, that you're a Newcastle United fan, this is is your boyhood dream. All three of us on this podcast once held a dream to play football for the club we supported. Right? He's done that. He's fulfilled that dream. And he's now going to say, right, uh, you're not offering me enough money. uh, So I'm going to go and play in Italy. Um, because I'm just so upset this scandalous trans- this contract offer you've given me, right? £15,000 a week over, he will be a millionaire at the end of that deal, a multi-millionaire at the end of that deal, right? I am led to believe that he has actually been offered more than £15,000 a week and has still turned it down. Um, so, look, what's more important to Matty Longstaff? Staying at the club he dreams of playing for, Continuing his development, giving that club—I'm not asking him to sign his life to Newcastle. I'm, not, you know, I—if if, from a personal point of view—and I speak purely from a point of view—if I was in Matt Longstaff's shoes, I'd be agitating to get as much money as I can do out of this contract. Of course, I would be. I would be playing this game of brinkmanship with the club, trying to get more money out of them. But if he leaves Newcastle, making only six Premier League starts. I think he'll regret that for the rest of his life. And I think that's a real shame. I would give him, I would give this club, if it was me, a Newcastle United fan playing for my club, I would sign the contract. I would see what their final offer is. We'd get to the point and then I'd say, right, okay, I'll sign that. And then if it doesn't work out in 18 months, a year, then leave. By all means, leave, go. But you, you he's got the chance to, to fulfil that boyhood dream. He's done it to an extent, but he's now going to cut that short. And the issue I have with it as well is that he has only made six Premier League starts. He hasn't really been picked up by England age group sides. He was nowhere near the first team last season. When Rafa Benitez was manager, he wouldn't even have gone on that pre-season tour to China in the summer where Steve Bruce took one look, well, not one look at him, but saw him in training and said, let's give him a chance. He was about to sign a new contract on considerably less money. I, I understand it before he played against Manchester United. And then as soon as he played against Manchester United, the agents probably quite rightly, because their job is to look after their clients, said, OK, right, we'll give you more You know, we want more money. It's been complicated by the Sean Longstaff situation. Now, if if they pay Matty 30, that's considerably more than Sean's on. So effectively, Sean's going to want exactly the same money. They're all arguments to say, yes, just pay the money and keep these local lads. But as Mark has said, and that's the key thing I think Mark said, there needs to be compromise on both sides. I mean, yes, thirty thousand pounds for a, a player of that potential a week—it's not a huge amount of money. But actually, within the wage structure in Newcastle, it is quite a lot of money. And there are senior pros there on thirty thousand pounds a week who are playing every week, or certainly in the squad every week. Matt isn't even in the squad every week. So look, there needs to be a bit of compromise. It will be a crying shame if he leaves. I'll be really, really sad if he leaves. And I think, I, but my personal opinion is, I just look at it from what I would do in that situation. And I would want to stay at Newcastle. Mm -hmm. And he's going to be a millionaire, a multi-millionaire, whatever contract he signs at the end of the day. Whether he goes to Udinese or stays at Newcastle, he's going to be a multi-millionaire. And I drew this comparison the other day because it fascinated me. The player signed in the fifth round pick by the New York Jets who are my NFL team. Fifth round pick. He has signed a contract worth £14,000 a week over three years. £14,000. He's the fifth round pick. Is Matty Longstaff, if you try and compare, is he... Is he he a Sancho? No. Is he that elite level, top young, 20, 21 year old player? No, he's not. He's not even played for England under 21s. So he's not that elite level. He, for me, is about a fifth round pick if you want to compare it to an NFL draft. He's not at that same elite level. So look, I hope he stays. I think, you know, Bruce loves him. Absolutely loves him. You know, he's given him his chance. I'm not saying he signs out of loyalty to Steve Bruce. Steve Bruce probably won't even be manager if this takeover goes through. But I just think he needs to have a little look. It's very easy for me in my early forties, to say I would have I would sign that contract because I wouldn't would be my boyhood dream to play for that club, but that is just the way I think. At nineteen, twenty, I'd have made that exact same decision. I would have rather have stayed and still been a multimillionaire at the club that I supported, around my family, in my home city. I would rather stay. But look, he's not guaranteed <laughs> first team football at Newcastle next season. He may just be going for football reasons. We don't know. Udinese, who, by the way, could be relegated to Serie B. They're still still in a relegation battle in Italy. He's going to be their highest paid player. Again, that opens up another can of worms. Why are they paying a 20-year-old who's going to be their highest paid player, uh, break their wage structure to bring him in? But look, if he's going to be promised first-team football at Udinese and he's going for purely football reasons, fine. But for me, this isn't a football argument. This is about money. And and that upsets me a little bit. But
1: could it be a football (laughs) argument given the fact that Many fans would have had him in the starting eleven, you know, toward, towards. Would they? Uh, well, I think so. I, I don't think that many people were impressed, and maybe, maybe in the last few games, maybe not. But I think before that, I think a lot of people were calling for for Mighty Longstaff to to be given more of a chance in in the, the starting eleven, given what he had done in the in the fleeting appearances he'd, he'd made.
2: He's played mm-hmm. in the Cafe Cup games against started in the Cafe Cup games against Oxford and uh, Rochdale when the fans moaned about the performance. Matty Longstaff started in the centre of midfield in those both those games, I think, didn't he? So look, he's he's played, he's a, he's a player of prospect. I'm not trying to criticize Matty Longstaff's football ability by any stretch of the imagination, but look, he's got a long way to go. He's got a long, long way to go. If he was one of the elite young players in the in, in England, he'd be playing for the under twenty ones. He'd have been playing for them for the last two years. He's not on that elite level really at the moment. I He's 20 exactly
3: now, I think. Right? Yeah, he's, he's, he's just zen- turned
2: 20. I looked on Soccer Base this morning. Yeah, he's
3: um, he's, he's still got a lot. I mean, the, the point is the point is Newcastle. I I, I do I do agree with you, and I, I think the Udinese link is a weird one because thirty thousand pound a week. I mean, I'd love to see the terms of that contract laid out because it seems a lot of money for a team in in Italy to be paying somebody who's not not played not played. High-paid player, he would be. be. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously I mean, at the very least, I think I think is it um or yeah, uh, I think one of the papers over there, I'm not sure which one it is, actually does a certain sur- wages survey, doesn't it? So it'd be really yeah, interesting yeah. to see what what they were talking about, Udinese actually paying place. Seems strange to me that. Very, very strange. But but I think I think the problem is for Newcastle, and this this will be the economic argument that, that the the agent will be coming in with is um how do you replace him? How do you you go fine? Go and, try and sign a nineteen-year-old who's played, scored at Old Trafford, scored against Manchester United, plays for the under-nineteens. Try and replace him for equivalent amount. But I think that's not necessarily a valid argument. They've clearly touted them all over the Premier League and Europe. And the Udinese one yesterday was the one that came out. So he's going to AC Marseille. <laughs> we've had those AC Milan, Marseille, yeah. all been. I mean, I, th- I I think he's a great. I think he's a great player. I think I think you know, you know, people have talked about Sean as well this season, not having a very good season or not not being quite at his level. But you know, it's difficult for a young player coming through. And I, I do think that it would be an absolute crying shame if he left Newcastle United. They're, they're really talented. Those those two brothers They've got a great attitude. Um, look, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But I, I can understand why the club wouldn't want to be saddled with a long term contract. They've done that before. You know, I'm I'm gonna sit here and say Stephen Taylor, who did have a good career at Newcastle United, but got them twice on a very long-term, very lucrative field, um, and then got and then had his injury problems. You know, Stephen Taylor was meant to be England's oh. next centre back, and I think probably if he'd have not got the injuries, maybe would have ended up being the next England centre back, but they gave him a contract that was an England centre-back's contract, and he never quite got to that level. So, I mean, obviously, it's not the same hierarchy. So, I'm not sure they're necessarily on the same levels, but that is the argument against paying a player as if he is an established Premier League player when he's not. And so, I do, you know, look, it's not like the season ticket thing where the club are just in the wrong. Yeah. I think yeah. stuff like contracts. I, I I think it'd be a crying shame if they, if they lost him. And I do think that they should, you know, they, they need to find a way and possibly go above his deal or do do other things to, to show him that he, he's there. But I I, don't, I can't just hammer the club for not giving him what he wants when, you know, they, they, they do have, you know, and they've made massive mistakes. Savé sat there on a massive contract, pullbacks on some really big contract. You know, Lazar's on a big contract that they haven't justified. But... You can't, you, you do, have. there just have to be some form of back and forth. I think long staff probably does need to, does need it's to compromise, sort of compromise
2: as it's well. Compromise. Yeah, it's com- we, I mean, they should compromise and I would be interested. No, you might be, I know you like your polls on the Chronicle. I would actually like you to put out a poll. What would Newcastle United put? Uh, the question I ask myself at 20, 19, 20 years old as a Newcastle United fan and you were offered a wage of £15,000 a week or whatever it may be, it may well be more than that. Would you sign that contract to play for Newcastle, or would you leave for another shall we say even if you want to say fifteen thousand pounds a week to go to euthanasia what would you, what decision would you make as a fan and I hope yeah. that at some point Matt Longstaff remembers the little boy who dreamed of playing for Newcastle. And I know I'm talking about emotional subjects here. And I know there's a cold, hard financial reality of football that that drains people of all of those dreams. But I would be interested to know what Newcastle United fans would do if they were in Matty Longstaff's position now. And I'd like that to be put on a poll on the Chronicle website, please.
1: <laughs> interesting question. Will the table a play any part, do you think, in these negotiations? with Maybe the hierarchy, I'm just thinking, well we need to wait and see how, how this takeover plays out and then we move. But obviously, the, the time really isn't on their side if they, if they do want to sign Matty to an extension.
2: I think they're aware of the contract talks. I think there has been some dialogue between them, the prospective buyers and the current regime. I think there has been some sort of discourse about that because obviously there's the Andy Carroll situation that needs to be resolved. So, And also the season obviously then continuing. So at this, at this stage, Matty will be leaving while the Premier League season is still going on. So... Um, you know, we need to be aware of that as well. He can go on July first, can't he? So, will he carry on playing for Newcastle? Will his contract be extended beyond that? The way we're looking at the moment, Newcastle will be without a midfielder as well, which we should probably, you know, mention when the when the season is still going on, because obviously it's going to last into July. So, I think there has been some sort of dialogue. I would be very surprised if. The prospective buyers are not aware of the contract offer that has been made to uh to Matty. Whether they can do anything to intervene and say pay him more or pay him less or having, I don't know. I would imagine not because you know the takeover could collapse and then Newcastle could be making a decision based on what owners who never bought the club wanted to do. So, but I think there has been some dialogue, I think they will be aware of the situation. I, I don't know how they feel about the Matty Longstaff situation. I don't think any final decisions be been made on Andy Carroll either, but they will be aware of it and there will be conversations taking place. And therefore, I would be very surprised if Newcastle are making these decisions just on their own. I, I think, you know, in any way, influence will be made. And if, if the new owners think that he's worth it, then I suspect, you know, that, that, that they, will, they will have sanctioned an improved offer or anything like that.
1: So from Matty Longstaff, Mark, on to the season tickets debacle. You mentioned it briefly there. You tried to to get somewhere over the weekend on, on this issue of fans being charged for the season tickets to the fans, not getting refunds for the games that will not be played at St James's Park. And you didn't manage to get anywhere. There's no response from the club. It's, it's frustrating. And the club really should be refunding those fans.
3: Yeah, I mean, look... Um it's not like nobody at the club is answering the phone. Had a really cordial chat with 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 somebody at the club. Um, you know, I won't. Uh, I, I I think the problem at the moment is there is there is total gridlock at the very at the very top. And actually, they pressed the mute button. So there are people within the club. You know, bear yeah. in mind also there are quite a lot of people furloughed still at the club. So a lot of the people who who at the box office would be able to make. Um, Would be able to make it happen, and probably all furloughed as well. I believe there's only um, there's only I think you know be a smaller proportion of people there. So so there's, there's probably that that is one thing, um, but there's also total and utter. I think it's I think it's right to say it's it's just inaction at the top. They're not they're not uh, the message that came back was at the moment. There's just no plan. There's no sort of acknowledgement yet of um, of. The, the issue. There's no acknowledgement of what they're going to do about the issue. I understand the NUST sent another letter on the May the 29th to the club, saying to them, um, "You know, can you can you at least acknowledge this issue?" No response whatsoever. So, you know, it's clearly a symptom of what's going on with the takeover that the club are just absolving themselves of those kind of decisions. It may well be, and I'm pretty certain it will be, that obviously. The takeover makes it difficult for, for Newcastle to make any big decisions. But I think that's that's to me is a bit of an excuse. They could at least acknowledge the the issue. They could at least have some form of conversations with the NUST. If not, you know, maybe in public or release a statement. Because you know, I'm not sure that the end the NDA, um, you know, covers the fact that they're not allowed to say anything at all about about even negotiations or talks or or anything. I'm not convinced of that at all. Um, but that's the, that's the issue. That's the way they they decided to go with takeover talks from from the very start. And what it leaves is a totally tone deaf club. at um, A time of need when a lot of their fans don't you know are, are struggling for money. This would be a, a welcome uh, situation to return some cash because people are you know look, we're all we're all suffering at the moment. Nobody's nobody's probably as as well off as uh, you know. We all know that there's something. It's all going to come down the tracks, and you, you're you're asking people to just forget about it. It's, it's, it's the fact that they're not even acknowledging it, you know. I, I can understand not every club has been able to yet process the money and send it back, but I think other clubs have said, yes, of course that money's coming back to you because you've paid for something that you're not going to get. Newcastle United stand alone, and, and it's just another reason why, um, you know, Lee Charlie, Mike Ashley, the people at the very top have shown once again here, in my opinion, why, they, why we need a change because... They've just not handled it right
2: at all.
1: They're sitting there with a load of money as well. I mean, that's the
2: thing. We all saw the accounts. They've got, they've got money in the bank. So I agree, you know, Mark, just acknowledge the problem. I suspect there is, there is a... That's I'm going over all but I suspect there is a complication to do with the takeover I and mean, it probably quite a sizable chunk of money would have to be repaid. But there's no reason actually to refund fans for the last game, few games of the season, which we know they're not going to watch. We know they're not going to see them. So, why is that money not being refunded to them um, that 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 for me is the scandal next season, I guess is more complicated. I guess they're tied into these contra- you know these long term deals where and we don't know what football's going to look like next season yeah. I think from the 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 stories I've done recently, I think the Premier League are looking at letting you know a stadiums be in a third capacity perhaps in in September, so that some fans will be there every week, so some fans will be going to the games potentially. I can see why they can't do that, but to just ignore the issue. And to not refund fans for something we know they are not going to get, they are due that refund. It's, it is it is typical. It's just another example of just this absolute callous approach that Mike Ashley has and the lack of communication. But look, as I've said on Twitter, this is a club that hasn't even told its manager there's a takeover happening. So we probably shouldn't be surprised that they're not communicating with fans about season tickets because they don't even communicate with their own employees. So... Look, it's it is a scandal. There is no excuse for it. The money for this season should be refunded. Should be put in back into the bank accounts of the fans who cannot go to their games. There is no counter argument. End of story.
1: Just before we we listen to uh, Thomas on the, the the kind of the Premier League's directors and owners test, how is Steve Bruce you know coping during these strange times? I mean, Luke, you've, you've no <laughs> doubt. What well, my between... hotline
2: to Steve? My hotline. <laughs>
1: Um, uh, on the Toon website, he seems he obviously seems very happy to be back and back seeing the players in, in full contract training, and I guess just happy to be back. Working. Well,
2: believe it or not, I've not spoken to him in a while, so we'll just get that out there. Um, um, he's, I think he was, he's a football man. Look, he spent his entire life in football, his adult life in football since you know he was, he was you know younger than Matty Longstaff. Um, and I think the, the the relief that he had of actually being able to get back into contact training, I think particularly, um, was huge. He's obviously, you know, he, it's like all of us, isn't it? We've, there's so many ifs, buts and maybes. And I think he knows realistically whatever may have been said privately or reassurances he's been given. The likelihood is, is if this takeover happens, he's not staying. I, I fully don't, I wouldn't expect him to stay beyond the end of the season if the takeover happens. So look, on a human level, Man gets his dream job, gets absolutely battered from pillar to post all season um, for for taking his dream job. He's accused of betraying his fellow Geordies by accepting the job in the first place, which is what some of the stuff. He's made a better fist of it. And I know you two both agree with me before you try and worm out with it. You know he's, he's done a better job than we thought he would. He's done a better job. I think personally he's done just as well this season as Rafa did in his last season. Um, they're in the FA Cup quarterfinal. He's given the fans the one thing that they cried and screamed for, which was a cup run, and he took the cup competition seriously. He's done a lot of good, and I don't, you know, people don't like him. That's fine. People can say, you know, whatever they want about him, but he's done a better job than anyone thought he would do. He's kept Newcastle out of takeover trouble. He's made a decent fist of it in his first year. There's a real chance that there was a chance, hopefully, of, you know, a of, of a cup final perhaps, I know they've got Man City at home, it's a very, very difficult game, but they're in the quarterfinal of the cup. For and then to suddenly know in the back of your mind that basically none of that counts or anything, that people still don't, A, I think you could cope that people still don't like him or didn't want him, that's fine. But to then know that basically your job, this dream job that you've had, that you've actually done a fairly decent job in, is going to be taken away from you at the end of the season, I think that's probably very tough. And the thing I've said to people, you know, I've had this argument on social media just treat him with a little bit of respect. You don't need to like the bloke. You don't need to rate him as a manager, but you need to look at the job in isolation of what he's done at Newcastle this season. And we all thought there was a real risk they would go down this season in August. We all sat there and said it. Every single journalist in the press room predicted that they would you know, be real, real danger if they did if they do well to finish fourth from bottom. Well, they haven't been fourth from bottom since September. So let's just look at the job he's done in isolation. I hope that if and when he does go, um, that people can just say, do you know what, Steve? And I've said this in, on the Telegraph. You know, thanks, cheers. You know, thank you, or best wishes to you. Rather than the poison, not just in, you know, not just on social media. Actually, it's been stuff in the media that's been said about him, which has been totally out of order, in my opinion. Um, and I, and that's very sad. And yes, he's a friend of mine. But I just think if you take this in isolation, I know all I said at the very, very start was, you never judge a manager. And Mark will remember when Joe Kinnear was at Newcastle and we took exactly the same approach when we were on the journal together. You don't judge and slaughter a manager before he's had a chance to do the job. And that's all I ever said in the summer and got absolutely battered for it. He's not Rafa Benitez. He's not a world-class manager like Rafa Benitez, but he's done a good job. And I just hope people actually can just take a little step back and just say, do you know what? Okay, fair enough. Thanks, Steve. Cheers. All the best to you. And I hope that happens if and when he goes.
1: No, I think that'd be no secret. I think he deserves a lot of credit for coming in at a dangerous mm. time, uh, a time, like we see Rafa Benitez left, and it could have gone drastically wrong. Uh, so I think he does deserve a bit of credit for where he, he's got Newcastle and then he can probably walk away and get another job. He's maybe rebuilt his, his reputation a little bit, Mark.
3: Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think, um, you know, I don't think I've ever ever said anything different about Steve, Steve Bruce and how, how well he's done. I think we, we mentioned uh, during the podcast, after every post-match press conference, I think my issue has always been... The football has at times been been poor. He's not managed to move it forward as quickly, I think, probably as he wanted to at the start of the season. But what he did really well, which I thought was a sign of a good manager, and we all praised Rafa for doing this, was that he recognised that quite quickly, changed the way that he was doing things, and it did become a little bit safety first in the end. You know, there was no um, there was no flow in football. It wasn't a, it wasn't an easy. Um, easy on the eye sort of performances for a long time but they they got they got the results and I'll tell you what towards the end of the um, the time before lockdown they were actually the last three games they were creating more chances and playing a little bit better as well and all you can ask for is that progression he got um, you know they, they, were do, they were doing much better than I thought they were going to do um, this season I think man management has been has been excellent I think there have been times when he could have Thrown players under the bus. There could have been times where he could have thrown the club under the bus, and maybe that's one of the things that one of the arguments against him is that he came in and he was a little bit little bit of a continuity candidate. But um, but you know, I think he's better than people than people gave him credit for. Definitely, um, you know. I, I, do I think that he's the right man to take the club to the next level? I mean, I you know I have my reservations about that. I, I you know, but again, like Luke said, the thing is. The problem is, I, I, it's like when Steve McLaren got the job. I was like, "This is not going to go well." But we, we had to give him the chance because because you don't know how that's going to go. I thought Rafa was going to be fantastic. Turned out that he was, um, but he did get they did get relegated in that first period. You know, it's it, it's it's not I mean, it's not so easy just to sort of say you know he, he's this and that and the other. I mean, he, you know, we'd go back to Kinnear. We knew Kinnear was was be a disaster. <laughs> we knew that was not going to work. Um, long term, especially the second time around. But Steve Bruce wasn't joking it. You know? He wasn't joking it. He wasn't. The problem was for 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 Steve Bruce. It was such a drop in um, cachet in sort of in everything from from Rafa to Steve Bruce. And because Rafa had this long term plan and everything was moving in that direction. And and he is that kind of manager that the holistic manager putting all these things in place. That, that it then felt when you brought in Steve Bruce, whose whose remit was, you know, I know at the start the club said free flowing football and all this. They threw him under the bus a bit there because he had a he had about three weeks before the season started. Um, they signed all the players for him. You know, it was it was a really difficult job I thought, and I think he's done he's done pretty well. I mean, don't forget they um, they beat they beat Southampton at Southampton before they left. They beat West Brom the way. Um, okay, some of that. Some of the home games were poor, but they had a they had a disastrous Christmas and came back from that. Now that is a measure of a you know a team that's doing okay. I, I understand that fans say, look, you don't pay to watch it, I pay to watch it, and it's it's terrible. But you know, you have to remember that that the how little time he had before the season started. You know, he wasn't able to sign his own players. He wasn't able to put his own stamp on it. And I think, you know, I, I said, I wrote a piece actually way back in the spans of time before the takeover all started saying that I thought Bruce deserved credit for, for the job he'd done. I predictably drew a sort of pretty negative response on on Twitter because I think that a lot of people have made their minds about Steve Bruce. But um, but I, I think we've done okay. And it's not just because he's a nice guy. He is a nice guy. But look, we all thought Raffle was a nice guy. You know, I've seen it mentioned in a few places that, oh well, you're all mates with Steve Bruce. Well, actually, you know, I wouldn't say he was a mate of mine. I like him and and uh, but I, you know, I don't really call him at all. Uh, and no more than Rafa. No more than Rafa. Rafa,
2: Rafa played us all as. You know he was yeah. he was far closer and was you know doing all his off the record briefings with us and cosy little chats. So if anyone wants to start accusing the main media, not me, they're taking me out with this. Nobody's been friends with Steve Bruce this season any more than they were with Rafa last season. It's like no. Rafa played the media brilliantly. He was the master politician. He's a PR maestro. He knew exactly how to play us and he knew exactly how to you know ingratiate himself with the fans. Is Steve Bruce the man to take Newcastle on to be a Champions League? Contender? No, I, I don't think he is personally. Um, but look, it, we've been accused of a lot of things, the media, and I will speak up for my colleagues in the media here. We've been accused of a lot of things on social media this season, and a lot, you know, not just about Steve Bruce. But you know, there's been there's been there's been fr- phrases like Ashley apologist thrown at people, and you're in the pay of the club, and you've not st- stood up for fans. I will say every single member of the Northeast Press Pack has battered Mike Ashley for the last 13 years. The Chronicle has done it, the Journal has done it, we've all done it. Nobody is in the pay of the club. Nobody has tried to do anything other than report on a club and express our views that we want Newcastle United to be better than they are under Mike Ashley. And actually, some of the abuse we get and I bring it on myself to a point because I quite enjoy it as you two will know, but <laughs> some of the stuff that has been thrown, I don't care what's thrown at me. Look, you can call me Steve Bruce's pal, whatever. And I don't care. I is a friend of mine, whatever, but I've never been, I've not held back in criticizing the team. that have been rubbish. And I will share you an anecdote now after the Norwich game, the nil nil, we all remember it for all the wrong reasons. I was in the radio room at St. James's park because I was trying to write and there was too much noise from Mark in the press room. And, um, <laughs> Steve Bruce knocked on the door and came in and he said, what did you make of that? I, Can I swear on this? Is that right?
1: Yeah, feel free. He said,
2: I said, me, Steve. I cannot sit through any more of that sh-. And he actually just looked at me and said, I know, I know. It's awful, isn't it? We've got to change it. We've got to change it. That's not how I want to play. I don't want to play football like that. We're going to have to find something to change, right? So he went away. And they did change. They did They did start, as Marcus alluded to there, they did change the system. They were creating more chances. And they, let's look at, you know, we get all these stats thrown at him at the team this season. Bottom of XG, bottom of chances created, bottom of shots created. Okay, statistical-based opinion that forms is that they're rubbish. The only facts are 13th in the table, eight points clear of relegation in the quarterfinals finals of the FA Cup we'd have all taken that at the start of the season. So take a step back and look at it within a bit of context. Steve Brewster has not wanted to play like that this season. He hasn't wanted to play like that. But as Mark said, he recognised that actually that was the way they sort of had to play and they've tried to evolve it. He brought those players in in January, in Bentaleb, in Rose, and I've now forgotten um, Valentino. Has I got this name right? Yes, I have. He brought yeah, those players yeah. in. You know, they've not particularly gelled Brilliantly, they haven't had a huge amount of impact, but he tried to change the way the team plays. He recognised what the faults were, and yes, the football has been pretty turgid. But you know what? When I think about this season, I think about that last-minute winner against Chelsea, and I think about two-two against Man City, John Joe Shelby's goal. I think about Tottenham away. I think you know there have and Manchester United at home. There have been some good moments. Yes, the football has been pretty hard to like. It's been an endurance test at times, but we've also had some pretty great moments. And I was, for one. The one thing I regret more than anything about lockdown associated with Newcastle is that game against Man City, the FA Cup quarterfinal being called off. That would have been absolute. That would have been a game when Newcastle fans could turn up and forget about Mike Ashley, forget about whether you like Steve Bruce, forget about the style of football. It would have just been a time to be a Newcastle fan, Newcastle at its best, absolutely pummeling with noise and hostility. Manchester City team who were a better team than Newcastle and I and I just think they had a they had a real chance of winning that game because Man City's focus would have been on the Champions League and I suspect they would have sent out a fair you know a changed lineup and I was really looking forward to that and then that's been taken away and it's now in all likelihood going to be played behind, players, behind closed doors and then suddenly it becomes a training game and suddenly Man City are going to win 9.5 times out of 10 aren't they whereas actually I thought 70, it was a 70 30 game with the fans there
1: Yeah, no, it would have been quite a spectacle. Just to finish off then, we'll listen to Thomas Horton from The Football Law and then gather your thoughts on what he has to say. So uh, here's Thomas. So now we're joined by Thomas Horton of The Football Law. Uh, Thomas, thank you very much for popping on the podcast. You put out an article yesterday on your website which gained a lot of traction from Newcastle United fans. It was uh, a positive conclusion, I think, you predicted to this long, long drawn-out saga. Um, can you just kind of tell our listeners, for those who haven't read it, um, just what it is you, you you put out there yesterday?
0: Sure, and thank you very much for inviting me onto the uh, the podcast in the first place as well. And yeah, I've been pretty overwhelmed from the reaction from from yesterday's article, uh, which, as you've noted, is available on my website um, footballlaw.co.uk and in a nutshell, or as much of a nutshell as I can g- give of the article, because it's quite a lengthy one, I know some people commented on, was to take the supposed and reported takeover of Newcastle United and look at all the uh, the news articles uh, and other uh, sort of known facts we know about this supposed takeover and put them all into one single article, explain what they mean circumstantially, And then, as well, bearing in mind who we know is potentially involved with this takeover, in particular, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia's public investment fund, uh, which I'll refer to as PIF hereafter, um, how they would comply with um, the Premier League's uh, owners and directors' test. uh, Because uh, as part of those news articles that have been going about, about this reported takeover, there's been criticism of their involvement. Uh, which is twofold. Firstly, uh, um, the kingdom Kingdom of Saudi Arabia's apparent involvement with uh, pirate um, networks showing or networks showing uh, Premier League football, um, and also the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia's alleged human rights violations. And what I wanted to try and do from the article, and what I hope uh, I have done for, for for the readers, is show that because the PIF uh, is a separate legal entity so separate from the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, um, those actions or alleged uh, actions of the Kingdom of Saudi Ar- of Arabia can't be attached to the PIF. And that's significant for the owners and directors' test because uh, there are certain uh, criteria that will disqualify a person. And there's a specific definition definition in the, in the Premier League rules about what a person is, and it includes an individual like me or you uh, or a corporate entity like the PIF, um, becoming an owner or a director of a Premier League club. And some of those rules um, exclude or disqualify people from being a director if they uh, have been convicted of certain offences. Or, and this what makes it a bit wider and what I think caused some concern for some people, if in the uh, Premier League board's reasonable opinion, uh, they consider... Uh, that one of those equivalent um, convictions could uh, have taken place. Um, But because of of that separate legal entity of PIF, as I explained in the article, um, my overall conclusion is that um, uh, the PIF, if that is to be uh, an owner or director or or both of any company that ultimately owns Newcastle at the end of all this, uh, they wouldn't um, fall foul of those rules uh, and wouldn't be disqualified um, from being a director or owner.
1: I guess the length of the article that you mentioned there—you you said you know people kind of commented on it—it it just shows what a minefield it is that the Premier League have got to get through, and you know maybe why you know supporters are getting so frustrated and they don't fully understand the, kind of the legalities of the of a takeover process and one that is mired in, in such controversy. Yeah,
0: uh, absolutely, and I think that's also been compounded by. You know, it's not an excuse. It's just context. It's been compounded by. Um, evidently I've written about this in in other articles on football law uh, how much work the Premier League board and clubs uh, are having to do together to deal with the pandemic at the moment as well so whether that's in respect to the return to training protocols and what's going to be now this this stage 3 government guidance of returning to um, competitive matches and return of the 2019 2020 season as well that's going to take a huge amount of work putting together um, protocols that are compliant with the government guidance and speaking to various interested parties. So, I mean, you have that much pressure and so many resources going towards that. I'm not saying Newcastle aren't important, um, but, you know, in terms of priority – um, you know, the safety and well-being of the league and its players is perhaps going to take priority for the for the time being, uh, as opposed to um, you know this owners and directors test um, that needs to be applied, uh, so far as we can tell, to KSAP if they're going to be uh, in, involved in the takeover. Um, but I think it's, it's important to highlight, and I, I did it in the article throughout, um, and it's, it's one of the reasons why I was a bit critical internally when I was reading other news articles um, is is the amount of speculation that's going on. So all that is available at the moment and what I have referred to in the article is circumstantial um, evidence, I suppose you could refer refer to it as, just for the sake of ease. Um, It's not probative. It doesn't prove exactly that a takeover is happening. It doesn't prove exactly that Amanda Stavely is the head of a consortium involving both the Rubin Brothers and the KSA All we've got is uh, this uh, agreement that was entered into between um, Amanda Stavely's um, uh, companies uh, and uh, St. James's Holding Limited, which seemed to indicate that um, St. James's Holding Limited, uh, which is part of the corporate corporate structure that owns Newcastle, uh, appears to have some sort of £13 million security from uh, Amanda Stavely and all her companies. And then we also have the creation of this other company entity called NCUK Limited, um, which is wholly owned by the KSA PIF. And the governor of the KSA PIF, His Excellency uh, Yassir Othman Al-Ramayan, is the director of NCUK Limited. So it certainly looks circumstantial like there's something going on, but we don't know for definite who's involved or what the proposed company structure will be. So, even in respect of my conclusion yesterday, it's making the assumption that Calais PIF are involved and that they're going to be the majority shareholder uh, in in whatever company ultimately owns Newcastle at the end of a takeover. Um, but I say we, we we don't know, and I think it's important not to get too carried away with the speculation, uh, but just take it for what it is at the moment.
1: In terms of the Premier League, is it a case, in your opinion, that they're just kind of? covering every aspect of this. They need to make sure this is legally tight because there's going to be so much opposition if it does get passed from BN Sports, from the, the widow of the murdered journalist. There's going to be so much opposition if they do pass it. So they're just making sure everything is covered.
0: I I think so, and this is something that was touched upon uh, when I was kindly invited to do a podcast last night uh, for Gallo Gate Shots as well. I don't know if you've heard that um, since its release last night, and and this is one of the points that was discussed, is that, I mean, I'm I'm not saying the Premier League would otherwise have a sort of willy-nilly approach about how they apply the owners' and directors' test, and Richard Masters has come out speaking in, in, in general terms, that the test is applied equally to anybody um, that uh, makes a declaration uh, to seek to be a director or owner. Um, but I think given the um, the amount that's been written about KSA PIS involvement and naturally its links to uh, the, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia's um, uh, government, um, then yes, perhaps they're perhaps going over things a bit more and ensuring that, you know, every T is crossed and every I is dotted. Um, but, I, you know, I, I'd imagine that their, their their systems are very robust in any event. Um, but I'm sure that they would also be keen to avoid any backlash, um, you know, should all this go through uh, and be in a position to say, well, no, you can't hold those piracy or, human rights violations against us or the KSA PIF because we've done our homework and we're satisfied that they don't fall foul of any of the uh, ineligibility um, rules in the ODT.
1: In your normal day job, you're, you're a barrister. So given your expertise is in law, uh, how difficult is it to kind of understand the Premier League rules on a takeover? Because like we've mentioned previously, you know fans will be reading kind of every page trying to get any kind of inkling on you know, a timescale or what the Premier League are thinking, you know, from the rule book. So from someone who's got expertise in law, um, just how difficult is it to get your head around it?
0: Um, I mean, f- f- for me, um, and I- I'm not saying I'm higher than mighty than anybody else, but, you know, I'm used to reading through statutes and rules and case law. So for me, it doesn't feel that alien going to the rule book and finding out the relevant parts and seeing how that applies to the facts that we know. Um But, from a fan's per- perspective or you know a lay person's perspective if you want to take the league, the legal phrase it, it, it's not that you know immediate to think oh actually I, I see this going on in the news. Let me go and check the Premier League rules and see where that falls into it and ultimately, that was uh you know in, in my launching sort of statement of uh, football law, um, I explained that one one of the things that I want to do was to stop the speculation and prevarication. Um, about situations where we know that there is um, a system in place that deals with a situation like this, and you can go to that section and find out you know what will happen or what the procedure will be. Um, so I, I can appreciate you know up until this article being published that you know the reason for for, for some speculation was that people didn't know what the test was exactly or, or where it was uh, but I really hope that you know from from my explanation of it and also, Given the relevant hyperlinks in the article as well, people can, on their own accord, um, from now on, know where to go and find these rules, and you know, inform themselves or just in- engage with that a bit more from from, from the perspective of um, the procedures that are in place.
1: Does it strike you a bit strange that you know this takeover looks like it, it could hinge on piracy rather than the murder of Jamal Khashoggi? which obviously is a massive issue. Um, it's in the news. His widow's obviously written an objection. As, but it, it appears that there's nothing in the rules that really could use that to disrupt the table. But it looks like if it's going to be anything, it will be the piracy issue.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I was gave a very simple sentence in the article that the, the human rights violations, not only in respect to Khashoggi, but also in respect to others, um, it's just abhorrent, and I'm, I'm not placing blame on anybody in particular, but the fact that those events have occurred, in any event, it's, it's abhorrent and it's horrible to read about. Um, but g- going back to the, the ODT and what that requires from those that seek to make a declaration that they want to be a director or owner... Um, that there is nothing in the ODT that provides for a sort of ethical character or moral test about a person. Uh, but it's important to, again, emphasize that when looking at the definition of a person in the ODT and the Premier League rules generally, you're not just focusing on a person, like say, like me or you. It also includes a, a corporate entity and any you know parent companies or affiliated companies as well. So whilst the Crown Prince's involvement in some respects somewhere might might be there uh, because we're focused on the, the the entity that is the KSA PIF, that, that's the important distinction in, in my opinion and what resulted in, in my conclusion in, in the article yesterday as well.
1: Important to say that Mohammed Bin Salman does deny the accusations. Um, let's just go back then to how you concluded your article yesterday you briefly mentioned it again there that is the bit I think Newcastle United fans would have picked up on the positivity that you know you said you know if they can prove that the the public investment fund is separate to the crown prince then there really doesn't look like there'll be an issue just delve in a bit more of that because I think that is really the bit that Newcastle United fans will be most interested in that positive um conclusion that you came to
0: sure um and and again just to, I, I feel like a a broken record going back to the definitions, but it's really significant and what allowed me to come to the conclusion that I did is that when when looking at the definition of a person in um the Premier League rules, um you're looking at the KSA PIF itself and any of any of KSA PIF's um uh, associated undertakings, fellow subsidiary undertakings, group undertakings, and so on and so forth. Uh, but when looking at the definition of what an undertaking is, it's just another word for a company, in essence, uh, in whatever form, whether it's a partnership or a, 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 an unincorporated organisation. But more importantly, whatever it is, it needs to be uh, in trade or business. And so even though the uh, the ownership of the KSA PIF, um is ultimately with the saudi government when you look at the government itself that's not something that's in trade or business it's it's government and for me that was a significant um difference or absence in uh, the definition of person in uh, the premier league rules and in particular the the, the odt um and it, it's a basic sort of principle of of company law really that a company is is an independent entity um, from the people that are behind it, and uh, you know, based on what I uh, received uh, as confirmation from uh, some very helpful um, uh, Qatari and Saudi-based lawyers uh, that I knew from bar school, um, they were able to confirm to me that the PIF is a separate legal entity, um, and, and and for me that that was just the, um, the sort of the main sort of factual point that I wanted to try and get out of all the research that I did.
1: Thank you very much. Well, it's been a, a good insight then. And like we say, the positive reaction from Newcastle United fans must please you. You can head over to at the football law on Twitter to follow Thomas. Uh, Thomas, we do appreciate you coming on the Everything is back on my podcast. So there we go, gents. I mean, the argument seems to be that the accusations of piracy um, are linked to the government and not directly to the PIF, despite the fact that the Crown Prince is Chair of the PIF, Thomas's argument: Who he's a barrister, so he he, he's kind of got an expertise. And all his argument is that um, the PIF is a separate entity to the royal family, to the government of Saudi Arabia. What you make of what you make of that?
2: Me, I'll go. Look, I think that's what the buyers assumed as well. So I think that was where their confidence was. I think they 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 thought they had presented a case that separated the PIF from the regime. Now, that's been complicated by the World Trade Organization declaration on the piracy. So that is where suddenly when we saw that story in The Guardian, that there was new and important documents had been released. I think we now know that WTO organization, which has directly linked the state to piracy, that suddenly becomes a problem because in actual fact, it, it will all come down to interpretation of the law. So one lawyer will say that and I respect on what you said there. And it's very, very interesting. That's obviously got far more legal expertise than I have. But law is also always in, open to interpretation. Um, so there might be other lawyers saying completely different things, looking at the same evidence. We also don't know what other evidence there is because it's a confidential process. We've only seen, we haven't seen the full details of the WTO report. So we're not partial to all the evidence that's been presented. It's obviously a problem. It is obviously a problem. I think the buyers assumed that they would be able to. For everything Thomas just said, they'll be able to separate the takeover from the regime in 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 Saudi Arabia, and then it. But it's not a private individual purchase. It's still the sovereign wealth fund of the Saudi Arabian government, of which the Crown Prince is chair of the PIF. So legally watertight comes back to what we said at the very top of this they've got to make sure whatever decision they make is legally watertight but you can see how complicated that is for them on the basis of that wto ruling mark yeah i think you know look
3: i think i I go back to 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 what i said about the um uh, about the premier league doing things very much behind closed doors and it will come down to I think it will come down to whether they think legally on the balance of probabilities. If they say it's the PIF who are behind it and not the Grand Prince, they think that they can get that then pass an appeal that could or, or a legal challenge that could potentially come down the track. And it will all be about balance of probabilities. It, it also reflects, I think, you know, I think the problem is that what a lot of people are assuming now is that the Premier League wants to block it. Which I don't think is the case at all. I don't think the Premier League has a has a stance on this because I think the Premier League will see the positive benefits of three hundred million pound investment coming into the league and you know getting the transfer market moving and all that. Um, it, it, it is you know I've I've got a mate at the Premier League who tells me it's very much a case of you know that it's a test. It's a it's very much a um something that's far away from all the moral obligations you know i know that uh, and the idea that qatar is behind um the report and the complaint and things and the, the, the idea of the test in theory is to take it away from all of these kind of um these emotive issues and, and make a very cold calculated judgment on that um so We'll have to see what that is, you know, that that's the reason why the lawyers are paid so much. That's the reason why it's taking the time it is, because it's clearly a complicated process. Um, And I think we go back to what we were saying at the start of the thing again, is how exhausting it is football journalists to be asked questions that our legal minds argue over. Because the fact is, we don't know. All we've been able to report from the start is what buyers have said um, and the buyers have said from the start that they think it's going to happen. I think that now, like Luke said, probably there's been a little bit of a, um, you know, a, a drawback on on all of that from even from the buyers. But you know, it still feels like, on the balance of probabilities, it's going to be done. But I think probably by now most most of the, the listeners, most of our readers, kind of know that you know we're just saying this is what the buyers are saying. We, we we're no longer in a position where we can maybe give a, a an opinion that. Um and, and you know, all the all the legal experts as well. are just giving their opinion. It really only comes down to the Premier League now. But
0: just to um,
1: finish off because 'cause I've seen a, a few fans get in touch to say, do the Premier League not kind of have a have a duty to fans to at least update them and say, right, yes, this is going on. We know so we know Richard Masters has Kind of said it, there is a test going on. That's all he did say. You know, he can't talk about it. But some fans pointing out that like, their mental health is suffering and you've got staff on the furlough and what have you. So there are important decisions to be made at the club, which are probably being uh, delayed due to the takeover. And, and while we're not saying the Premier League come out tomorrow and say, you know, delve right into it, do you think they have a duty to at least say, we are looking into this and, you know, a decision isn't going to be imminent or, or something like that?
2: Maybe, but but they can't talk about it. I mean, Richard Masters has been pretty clear about that. It's an entirely confidential process, which again clouds so much of what we've been told. None of this briefing has come from the Premier League. The Premier League have never said to anybody, oh, a little nudge and a wink, oh, we're going to... we're gonna, Because that was the inference a couple of weeks, two or three weeks ago, was that oh, there'd yeah. be a little nudge and a wink and they're always going to be green-lighted. That hasn't happened because the Premier League haven't spoken. So do the Premier League have a duty to look? It's not the Premier League's fault The Newcastle are in a takeover. I know that's harsh to hear, but it's not the Premier League's fault. It's Newcastle who decided to go ahead with a takeover in the middle of a lockdown. It was Newcastle and Stavely who decided to try and buy the club now when the season was still ongoing. The Premier League would just sit there and say, it's not our fault. You could have done this at the end of the season. You could have waited and then you could have launched this takeover in you know in pre-season or whenever else. So they tried to get a head start. I understand why they launched it when they did, because they wanted to be in place to then, in, in you know, in... It sort of shape the pre-season and the, and the recruitment and everything else this summer but none of that is the Premier League's fault and we have to just accept that the timing has been unfortunate and it's become a mess but it's not the Premier League's fault and the, you know that they can't be blamed for wanting to make sure that everything is legally watertight because that is just what they do that is just you know they, this would always have been the case the season could have still been going on now the season could have ended and it could still have been going on I don't think that would have changed it's so, no, I know it's infuriating. It's infuriating for us because we would all like to be able to talk to the Premier League and, and have an indication of which way they're going and what they're going to do and what the issues are. It simply doesn't work like that, I'm afraid. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry people's mental health is suffering. Um, you know, if there's any consolation, I think all of our mental health has suffered at various points during this process. So, look, we just have to sit, I, I, we just have to sit back and wait. What will be, will be, and we will have whatever the decision is, there's going to be a fallout for it. And rest assured, the Chronicle, the Daily Telegraph, all, all, all of the, the media up here, we, we, will, we will reflect what has happened and your views and the views of the fans and whatever way the decision is, and we will investigate all those issues and report on all those issues. But at the moment, we can't do anything to influence this process. So we just have to wait.
1: Good instinct, Mark, then. It, it will go through. It's just about timing.
3: Yeah, I mean, I've just what I said last week, really. But you know, with the caveat that it, it, it's 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 clear now that there has been an issue. There might it might not be that um, necessarily. It's it's been it's been brought to the the buyers as a something that can can end it. But it's clear that there's there's a, there's a big issue there in terms of the uh, the piracy, um, and and I think we just we've just probably just got to wait. And 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 what I what I don't like about this whole whole process and you know I understand that what, what the Premier League is saying there is that you know and the reason I feel sorry for fans is it's their club they, they're the one they're the one sort of group of people who probably for the past eight or nine years have felt like they've had no control over Mike Ashley and the way that he runs their club now it's being taken over they've got no control over who brings who who buys it but yet they're being hammered left right and centre by people who I've never seen at St James's Park in my life proclaiming to know the innermost thoughts of Newcastle United fans based on a few unfortunate exchanges that they've seen on Twitter which I think is really poor um and in addition to that they're getting no updates from either the Premier League or the um or the 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 hierarchy at Newcastle United I mean that is the problem for me this the football in this country has to reform um it has to uh you know change and and I think that what will happen if this is blocked is that you will see Newcastle United become, if it hasn't been already, even more of a zombie club. Um, there'll be thousands jacking their season tickets. There'll be a lot who feel just let down by the Premier League, let down by the club. And it, it doesn't bear thinking about, you know, and this is one of the great clubs in English football. I say that not as somebody who's, who was born here, who supports them. I say this as somebody who who, who reports them, obviously, but. I always thought they were one of the great clubs before I came to work here. That's why I wanted to come and work here. Um, and what is happening to them and about them is is just not acceptable. You know, if, if you don't think that, the, that Saudi Arabia should be able to buy a football club because of these issues, then OK, fine. But what's the alternative? Because you've clearly got an owner there. The one thing I would say about this as well, by the way, that it has exploded is the idea that Mike doesn't want to sell. I think He's clearly does
2: it, will be yes. solved this time. If it's not these, I, 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 the only grain of comfort I will offer any Newcastle fans is if, if this collapses. And I'm not going to go into any more detail on it, but it will be solved this time. It will, it will go. I, I do not think Mike Ashley will be Newcastle United owner in 2021. I, I I'm, I'm going to say that. I'm, I'm, I would. I'm not going to bet my house because that would be stupid because then I might not have a house to live in. But um, it's, I, I think it will be solved this time. hes He wants to get out. He wants to go. And I think yeah. that it will be solved this time. I think he'll be gone by 2021.
1: Well, I was going to offer Luke the final word and he's just taken it there. Take Jeez. it anyway. <laughs>
0: pleasure.
2: Lovely to see you all because we've all done this on video chat. So it's been very we nice. Have. Very nice. It's been a pleasure. And look, we all want it to happen. We all want the takeover to go through. Let's dispel that myth as well. Um, but um yeah, look, it might not happen, it might happen. Stay patient, stay safe, uh, and I'm my cashching will not be there in 2021.